What up, world? It's Pass First Point Guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever podcasts are sold. We've got a fun show for you today. The Blazers won a summer league game and Anthony Simons went nuts. We'll talk about that, even though I will insist a million times that the games don't matter. Some other stuff surrounding the games do. Second segment, we'll talk a little bit more about Summer League after we go heavy on Anthony Simons. And then today in Vegas, because the whole league is there, there was a Board of Governors meeting and the NBA announced some rule changes. I don't know if they're good. I think they're mostly dumb, but that's what we'll talk about in the third segment. But let us start with everybody's favorite 20-year-old, Anthony Simons. Dude went nuts today and the Blazers lost to the Utah Jazz. 35 points on 13 of 18 from the field. 6 of 7 from 3. Hit all 3 of his free throws. Added 6 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 steals. Did turn the ball over 4 times and had uh, 3 fouls. But he was just really good. He was probably the best player on the floor unless you're a big Tony Bradley fan. And for my money, Anthony Simons was the best player on the floor, period. So the hype surrounding him, you know, it started when he had that bonkers game 82 last year against the Sacramento Kings when 37 and, and came, Blazers came back from down 28, blah, 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 set, it, set up the Blazers trip to the Western Conference Finals. That's when the hype really started. But I think it grew a lot. It gained a lot of momentum on draft night, when kind of unprompted, Neil Olshay talked about how good Anthony Simons was. The question was about whether Nazir Little can play right away. And, and, and Neil starts launching into, well, you know, if we believe, you know, if he earns the playing time, he'll play. And we still believe in our ability to develop players, even if they don't get a chance to play right away. And then sort of in that thought, he decided to share the following about Anthony Simons. Take a listen. I think you guys will see that, um, kind of a remarkable transformation of Anthony. You know, it's kind of all coming together for him. I mean, he's he's as talented as anyone we've ever drafted since I've been here uh, in terms of nat- just natural gifts. I mean, he's not the player Damon CJ was, but in terms of just natural, God-given basketball ability, Anthony's as gifted as anybody I've ever drafted. So, um, you know, we're expecting big things from him, and I don't want to heap too much pressure on him, but when we watch him on a daily basis, we say things, you know, you guys just don't have the luxury of having that kind of access. And Where I cut that quote off, Neil kind of launches back into talking about Nazir Little. But before he got there, he did um, – well, let's actually go backwards through that quote because it's pretty hilarious um, in reverse. Uh, he says, you know, he doesn't want to heap too much pressure on him after calling him the most talented player he's ever drafted including drafting arguably the greatest player in franchise history, Damian Lillard, a three-time All-NBA selection. My goodness. Too much pressure, indeed. Uh, but then he also says, you know, that we we just haven't seen it. And it's true we haven't seen it. And I think today, against the... I'm recording this on Tuesday, if you listen to this on Wednesday, or if you live in other parts of the world. Shout out to all my Australian listeners out there. I know there's a bunch of y'all. Appreciate it. But... On Tuesday in Vegas against the the Jazz, we saw sort of what the Anthony Simons that maybe Neil was talking about. You know, hit his first five threes, and he did them in a bunch of different ways. Um, he hit, he hit him as a sort of catch and shoot guy. He looks like an exceedingly dangerous option as in a catch and shoot guy with with range out to you know twenty nine feet maybe. 
but he also showed he can shoot off the dribble, had a little sidestep three. He, he's, he's just really smooth with the ball. Um, he got into the paint okay. He, he maneuvered the pick and roll okay. He kind of likes to uh, snake back off the pick and roll, at least in summer league, snake back off the pick and roll and keep the guy on his butt and then kind of make decisions when, uh, with like an advantage against the, against the defender. But like I said, he's just really smooth, and he, and he has the type of game that in Terry Stotts' flow offense, which gives guys space, particularly on the sides, and those flare screens are used to when they set a screen, sending a guy towards the sideline to give him space to operate or just or to set up a side pick and roll. Anthony Simons looks like he could be really dangerous in space, particularly with better teammates. So that's what I want to ask and answer. Well, mostly ask, I guess, because the answers will come in the fall in this segment is, is Anthony Simons ready? Is he ready? Because if you look at the Blazers roster, he needs to be ready. They don't have other, they just don't have a ton of ball handling guards. You know, it looks like Kent Bazemore is going to play on the wing. looks like like, uh, three guarding threes more often. Rodney Hood, same spot. Gary Trent is a two and not much of a ball handler. It's Dame and CJ and Anthony. So as a 20-year-old, he's been 20 for a month, is 20-year-old Anthony Simons ready? I don't really know. I kind of think looking at this roster, looking at his game and appreciating what Anthony does well, and then looking at the Blazers roster, I think two things. One, to me, it kind of looks like the Blazers are preparing to do what they did two seasons ago, which is, or I guess they started it three seasons ago, but is turn that second unit offense back over to C.J. McCollum, which is meanings, means more staggering of Damian C.J. You know, they really tried to play them a bunch together last year, but without Evan Turner, I think that experiment goes away a little bit, and it makes more sense to always have one of those guys on the floor. So maybe the like there's no backup point guard. Maybe C.J. McCollum is the backup point guard. It's a, a rotation the Blazers have used in the past, and just looking at the roster, it's one they could use again, where he comes out after about six minutes, takes a short rest, and then leads that start of the second quarter, uh, second unit as the de facto point guard. That would allow Anthony Simons to play off the ball, to be the secondary scorer, to not have to run the offense, because even, I think today against the Jazz, he probably flashed his best natural point guard stuff that he had, I mean, he didn't finish with many assists, but he just made smarter plays. Um, guys biffed a couple shots that could have been layups, missed three, missed layup. Uh, that um, that comes to mind. Jardel Stokes, I'm calling you out, brother. You missed a you missed a bunny. But I don't think he's a natural point guard just yet. And at 20 years old, being able to play point guard in the NBA is pretty tough. So that knock on Anthony Simons is fair. So I think it kind of is pushing more towards CJ as that backup point guard and keeping Anthony Simons mostly as an off-ball shooting guard type player. It also means that the Blazers have two open roster spots and that maybe there is a veteran point guard on the horizon for the Blazers because they might need someone who's more of a natural playmaker. But is Anthony Simons ready? That's the question. You know, those those might be some of the solutions to fix his his de- his deficiencies as a player but is he ready to me i think he can get his shot off and score against nba players right now i think you could throw him in there and play him 20 minutes a night and he could average double digits i think he's that good i think his his shooting ability his ability to shoot off the dribble his size and his athleticism going towards the rim he's got incredible hops check out um his instagram for the occasional just wild dunk 
Not sure he's going to be a great finisher in traffic at his strength yet, but he can really shoot and he can really get into space. So yeah, I think he's ready. I don't think he's ready to take over the reins as a backup point guard, but I do think he's ready to play a limited but consistent role as an NBA scorer. And the hype train is only building. It's the thing that started in game 82 and it, and and Neil really maybe accidentally pumped up in June. But now it's it's they've cleared the decks for him to play. They believe he can play. And I think this game in Summer League shows that, you know, you have a game like this in Summer League. There are, Obviously, there's Josh Selby's of the world out there. I mentioned that in the last podcast. If you don't know who that is, Google Josh Selby Summer League. He's the cautionary tale. But Anthony Simons just looked like a guy who was a little too good for Summer League. I think Lonnie Walker of the Spurs had a game like that on, on Monday where he just looked a little too good for Summer League. These are second-year players that are just ready to contribute in the when the games actually mean something. Take off the kid gloves. I think Anthony proved he's there. There'll be some bumps and bruises along the way. There'll be some ups and downs. It's tough at age twenty um, to be a, to to play just a ton, a ton, a ton in the NBA. But I think he has the scoring ability and the touch and the and all of the other offensive skills beyond just sort of natural playmaking stuff to be to be a force, to go ahead and play right now. So if is Anthony Simons ready? Yeah, probably, as long as they ask him to do the right thing. In the second segment, I want to talk about uh, the other two roster guys at Summer League, Gary Trent Jr., Nazir Little. But before I do that, I want to remind you guys that for the latest takes on NBA free agency and the offseason as a whole, follow all of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one Twitter feed at Locked On NBA Net. It's an awesome way to get all the latest opinions from the local experts during NBA free agency and all summer long and when the year starts too. So follow there on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net. Okay, so we talked about is Amphrey Simons ready? And I made it clear that I think he is as long as he's not asked to play point guard in the NBA at age 20. Before I get into the other guys, as a quick aside, this news came out after I recorded the first segment, but Anthony Simon suffered a grade one ankle sprain at the very end of that game against the Jazz this afternoon. Uh, the Blazers haven't announced it yet. They did say that x-ray came back negative, but I can't imagine we'll see him play anymore in Vegas. So that might be it for Anthony Simons in the summer. Okay, let's talk about the other guys. For the other two young roster guys on this Blazers Summer League team, I think the answer is simpler if you're going to ask the same question. Is Gary Trent Jr. ready? No, probably not. Is Nazir Little ready? No, definitely not. And I say this for a couple reasons. Let's just start with Little because I think he's the easiest, most obvious one. The problems that I described in my uh, on draft night when I did sort of a, like a breakdown of what I had seen from Nazir Little in college and what I thought uh, he might be like in the pros. All of those things have come to fruition um, in uh, in Summer League. And if you hear that, that is me tooting my own horn. But uh, beyond this self-praise that I snuck in there, uh, he just his limitations that he showed in his year in college have have, have really shown up here in Summer League. Um you know, it's, it's been a while since he's played organized basketball, so I'm, I'm not surprised that he hasn't taken major strides. Uh, he's 
explosive as seen in uh, late in this game when he kind of got loose for uh, when the defense lost him. He got loose for just a huge monster highlight dunk that will be over every high, in every summer league highlight reel you watch. Um, his moments like that when you say, okay, wow, like this, this kid is, is going to be really fun because he can jump up to 12 feet and just cram on someone with two hands. He's just, he's just a really good athlete. But the rest of his game, um, particularly offensively, is just so rough. Like he just, just like in college, he just can't create his own offense in any way. Uh, he missed all four of his three-pointers. I don't want to get too bogged down in any box score stuff in summer league. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. But just the sort of more functional stuff outside the box score, he just can't create a ton of offense right now. I don't know if that's going to come. I think the Blazers believe strongly in their developmental program, and, and Nazir Little will be someone who gets thrown into that. Uh, Summer League is more sort of uh, open for him to figure out what he can do. Uh, interestingly, he hasn't started or played much with Simons and Gary Trent Jr. That's probably by design, um, not because this is some sort of like grand developmental scheme that the Blazers have running, but probably because the, the guys in front of them are, uh, on this particular team, Blazers are just doing their representation a solid by getting them a ton of reps um, in front of NBA scouts and and and, and, deci- and just basketball decision makers. That's why they brought Jarnell Stokes back for a third season, basically, is because they have a good relationship with him and his representation, and they know that they'll give him a bunch of minutes and let him play and let him show that, um, you know, if teams need a big body, that maybe he's an option. But Nazir Little... To his credit, plays still plays really hard. Uh, it's hard to really judge individual defense in summer league, like just because the the offensive schemes you're going against are so much more basic than than what you'll play in the pros. So your help defense and stuff like that, off ball defense, just you're not being asked to do as much. But he competes and plays hard all the time, even if his offense is a little bit wonky. Um, he was more aggressive, I thought, in this game offensively than he had been in the other two games. Uh, that might just be a comfort level thing. It might be a coaching staff telling him, you know, go ahead and shoot. We do not care. We do, we we the stats do not matter. The games do not matter. Like you're part of the future, so go be out, be part of the present. But he has he he has some growing to do. So the question is, Nazir Little ready? No. And the Blazers have are relatively. F- filled up at the wings they've got a crowded a crowded group at the wings I think uh something went wrong if Nas is getting serious minutes at those spots um he's fun and he could be a really useful player down the line but from what we've seen you know six days into summer league he doesn't look like someone who's going to be ready to contribute in the fall so Gary Trent Jr. is the interesting one um to me Gary Trent Jr. is going to follow a path that's pretty similar to Blazers before him. And that would be a second-round pick who doesn't play as a in his rookie season and then maybe gets limited spot minutes as a, as a sophomore as in his second year but, but still isn't necessarily part of the big plan. And then the Blazers bring him along and expect him to be part of the show as, in year three. I think he has an NBA skill. I think shooting is his NBA skill. We saw it in the Blazers' second summer league game. He got incredibly hot. Now, the challenge for anyone in, in make, trying to make the NBA is consistency. It is the difference between good and bad players. It's the difference between good and great players. Is how consistently can you bring it. Uh, it's not a huge surprise that the dude goes, you know, 7 for 7 from deep or 7 for 8 from deep. I think he finished. And then 
starts over six in the next game. But it wasn't the it wasn't the box score stuff. It was the decision making. Those I think he misses first six shots, I believe, and four of those were just bad pull up, tough contested into the teeth of the defense mid-range jump shots. Now, I'm not one of those people who um, thinks that all mid-range jump shots are bad, and if you're not dunking or shooting threes, you should die because math is the greatest thing that there ever was. But I do think that those shots are difficult. And at Summer League, you should... Maybe you don't have to worship the math gods and, and only take threes and dunks, but taking difficult mid-rangers, just taking any difficult shots is problematic. And I think Gary Trent Jr.'s decision-making um, is going to be what's what'll be tough for him. Is, is He can definitely shoot. And I think if he plays on a, on a lineup that features NBA stars, like if he's playing um, a, along with Dame or along with CJ or along with, um, you know, on the weak side of a Damian Lillard and Hassan Whiteside pick-and-roll, very weird for me to still say Hassan Whiteside as a blazer, but we'll get there. I think his just stand still, catch it, and shoot it, I think that translates. But I think the rest of his game remains a work in progress. And I'm not sure that there was something he could have done in Summer League to make uh, the Blazers change their mind about his plans. I think I misspoke in the third, in the first segment when I said that uh, Kent Bazemore is going to play mostly three. I think Kent Bazemore is going to play a lot of three, but I also think he'll see time at shooting guard, which is going to soak up some of the minutes that Gary Trent Jr. could potentially steal. And also, like I said, I think Anthony Simons is going to play less point guard, or I assume that he's going to play less point guard or more two guard in the pros, even if he's the quote-unquote backup point guard. We'll see. It remains to be seen which would soak up some of uh, Trent's potential minutes. I think he follows the Alan Crabb and Pat Connaughton, Jake Lehman, to some extent, plan, where you just wait in the wings for two years, you're called upon in, in spot minutes or foul trouble or injuries, you play, you play for stretches, and then you spend a ton of time watching from the end of the bench. And then in year three... Two years in the system, two years developing behind the scenes, understanding the offensive defensive schemes, understanding what the coaching staffs wants from you. And year three, I think, is when they'll ask Trent to be a serious part or expect Trent to be a serious part of the rotation. Um, I just don't I don't see it this year. And like I said, I don't think there was a thing he could do in summer league that would change um, the Blazers' plans. That said, when you look at his stats and this is why I don't want to get caught up in a box score I'm going to give you two examples of this before we move on to the third segment in Alan Crabb's third year heading into his third year in the NBA the Blazers kind of begged him to go to summer league um, he didn't really want to go he had played a little bit more as a second year player he'd actually started a handful of games as a second year player but he was going to be part of the plan in year three he was going to play like he was penciled in to play and they kind of begged him they said please go to summer league and please go dominate so alan crab went to summer league and he was the blazers best player and it was clear he averaged 15 and a half points he shot 53 percent from the floor he shot 44 percent from the three played about 24 minutes a game which is in summer league starter minutes and he was part of the plan uh he had a career year that year uh, you know, Crab's numbers never really jumped off the page, but he was he was so clearly useful and one of the best three-point shooters in the league that year. He really took a step and was a part of a rotation on a good playoff-level team. 
In the same vein, Pat Connaughton, after two years. Uh, the Blazers didn't really have to beg Connaughton to go to Summer League, as I recall. This was more um, Connaughton understanding that he hadn't really done anything in his first two years in the NBA, and that year three, this would give him a chance to go to Summer League and be a, be a show that he belonged, show that he could dominate at that level of competition and belonged in the rotation. Connaughton sucked at Summer League. There's no other way around it. Six points a game, shot 36% from the field, 20% from three. Uh, he played a little bit of, he played a bunch of point guard, tried to get him to initiate the offense. He wasn't good at it. And that's to say, I use those two examples because when Pat Connaughton came into year three, he was a, a useful rotation player, rotation wing off the bench for a team that made the playoffs. So I think the Blazers generally make their plans and let what they see in practices, what they see in summer workouts, what they see in training camp dictate much more of their decision-making than anything that goes on in summer league. Crab was part of the plan, had a great summer league, stayed part of the plan. Pat Connaughton was part of the plan, had a terrible summer league, stayed part of the plan. That's why I mentioned them in light of Gary Trent Jr. I don't think he was part of the plan. Whether you think that 31-point outburst when he hit all those threes made him more likely to jump into the rotation or this you know, poor shooting night in his third game makes him back out of the rotation, I don't think it matters. The Blazers' decision-making is out, ha- happens outside of these games. As another example, uh, Caleb Swanigan was pretty consistently better statistically, you know, numbers-wise, particularly rebounding, than Zach Collins was in, in uh, Summer League. But Swanigan never really was ahead of Collins in the plan. The plan does not worry about summer box scores. All right. Another thing happened at Summer League today. The Board of Governors met, and they voted on some rule changes in the league that will probably affect what happens at the end of games, or at least um, could have a major impact on on coaches' decision-making and things like that. So that's what we're going to talk about in segment three, the rule changes for the 2019-20 season. But before I do that, I'll remind you guys that when you're driving to work or home from work or just around town, all you have to do is tell your smart device in your car, play podcast Lockdown Blazers, and I'll be right there with you for the drive. Make it a part of your daily routine. Whenever you get in your car, tell your smart device, play podcast Lockdown Blazers. All right, welcome back. Still Lockdown Blazers, still Mike Richmond, still pass first point guard. So the NBA Board of Governors uh, met today in Vegas. The whole league's in Vegas. I told you, I told you guys this. The whole league stays in Vegas until, um, at least for that first weekend. And I guess they, they some of some of the folks stick around till early the early in the second week until Tuesday. But um, there are rule changes. The first is the introduction of the coaches' challenge. Uh, this will be. Uh, they're call, they called it a challenge flag initially in the initial reports, but um, it uh, it basically will allow coaches to signal from the bench and challenge some specific calls in the NBA. Some specific calls. Uh, they're they can challenge if a personal foul is charged against their team. If a call, if there's a call out of bounds or a goaltending call slash basket interference violations, uh, and you'll signal from the bench for those. Uh, it's not clear right now. They haven't exactly hammered it out 
how many challenges you get. I can't imagine it's more than two. Uh, it'd be interesting if you can use them the last two minutes when um, there's triggers to go upstairs. But right now, they've at least uh, approved a coach's challenge for referee calls. Uh, the other change is that the replay center, your good friends in Secaucus, um, in addition to the game refs, can trigger some instant replays. Uh, that would be for whether, uh, like, clock violations. If a player got a shot off before the end of the quarter or before the end of the shot clock or whether it was a two or three, that can come from Secaucus. So if they're watching the game and maybe the ref didn't see it um, and didn't signal right away, the, the, uh, the centralized replay center can fix that. I don't really have a problem with that one. I think that can help. Um, I think having the centralized replay center um, be in charge of replays in real time is useful because they can make a decision, relay it to the rest, bing, bang, boom, less stoppages. The coach's challenge, though, this sounds like an absolute mess, guys. I am not... Who was asking for this? Uh, I just don't think the league needs to... You know, I I think to some extent in the playoffs refereeing became at least a minor story, particularly end of the regular season, early in the playoffs, refereeing became a minor story. It wasn't really a story after that, after the sort of early beef, mostly with the Warriors, right? Um, But like once we got deeper into the playoffs, the refs really didn't become a story. Um, I I do think the refs get criticized. Some of it's fair. Some of it's just uh, the, the nature of the game. But I don't know if... Adding a coach's challenge that stops a play and uh, relitigates a foul call or relitigates a goaltend, which seems like a very rare occurrence and won't happen very much, is really going to help the flow of the game. Uh, you know, they changed the rules last year to limit the number of timeouts that can be called in the final three minutes to kind of speed up the end of games, uh, particularly useful in the regular season when those kind of final few minutes of games can really drag on. I can see coaches, because they're so naturally risk averse, saving these challenges to the end of games and then just challenging plays for the sake of challenging them right at the end, in large part, maybe just to steal a timeout, to steal a stoppage in play, to steal a chance to call their guys over and draw a play, call the guys over and just calm everyone down. Uh, I don't think, for me, and and maybe you disagree, and if you do, I think it's fair, but um, whatever, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, let me know I'm wrong. Um, I just don't think the league needs more official complaining to the refs. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine any player, any fan was calling saying, listen, my coach needs a, needs a challenge flag. My coach needs to be able to have a, have a challenge to tell the refs he's wrong. And and in case, you know, uh, Zach Collins has called for a controversial foul that Terry Stotts can challenge it. And now he'll be instead of four, three fouls or instead of four fouls, he'll have three heading down the stretch. And this will be hugely important. I also think uh, a lot of times coaches might use this just to appease star players when they're whining. I, there's no way I fouled him. Okay, we'll challenge it. Here you go, Dame. Here you go, CJ. And it doesn't work out. I, I think this is a solution to a problem that didn't exist. I think this is addressing something that no one had issue with. I don't think it helps the game in any way. I also think it's not going to come up very much. So, Maybe the last time you hear me complain about it is right now when they implement the rule. Sure, it'll affect six games a year. I'm not talking like six games per team. I'm talking six total across the league. Is that some coach will challenge and 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 you know sway the outcome of the game with a savvy challenge? Sure, 
But for the most part, I bet there'll be less than one a game. Coaches won't naturally use them unless they're just using one to steal a timeout. And they won't be a big deal. This is a rule change that nobody wanted and nobody needs. What are you going to do? We got it anyways. Guys, I have great news for you. I'm going on a little vacation this weekend, which all but guarantees the Blazers are going to make some roster moves. So when I get back, probably have a little bit to uh, to tell you guys about. There'll probably be some Blazer news um, that I will have missed while I'm gone. Uh, one of them is the team's going to introduce us on Whiteside on Thursday at, uh, at Summer League. So there'll be uh, at least a little bit of press conference news. I don't think I'll be able to get a podcast out then just because of my travel schedule. But if there is some newsworthy stuff that comes out of that press conference, look for it early next week. And look for, you know, the inevitable Blazers add two more players to their roster while Mike's out of town that are, that's coming over the weekend. There's no better way to guarantee roster movement than to me, me to take a little bit of time away. So that's what I'm doing. I'm guaranteeing it. You guys are welcome. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. Tell them they can find this podcast wherever they already get podcasts. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. We also stream it on Spotify. Check us out. Appreciate everybody listening. Talk to you soon.